0: Welcome to Anchor Church's podcast. Today, Hannah talks about the importance of therapy and how God handled a mental health crisis with Elijah. Let's listen in. Uh, I remember it clear as day. I went into a closet, picked up my phone, looked up Google, and then put it to my ear, and I left a message. And I said, hi, my name is Hannah. And I think maybe, possibly, maybe, uh, me and my husband might need marriage counseling. And I hung up and I left the closet to see if anybody had seen me enter the closet and if anyone had heard me make that phone call. You see, I was on staff at a church at the time and the idea of marriage counseling and someone who works at a church was basically that you were headed for divorce. And I couldn't handle that thought of anyone thinking that about me. And I remember such shame in that moment as I hung up the phone and exited the office. Luckily, no one saw me enter the closet, but I can look back at that moment and I can realize that that was the time that I got healthier, both physically, emotionally, in my marriage, all these different things started to fall into place from that one phone call. Yes, it was a lot of work, but that one phone call was the first step that I needed to do. So I'm not sure where you're at today if you're like I was terrified to ever make that phone call. Maybe you would literally hide in a closet if you had to. Or if you're on the other side of the coin and you love therapy and you tell everyone about therapy and you tell everyone to go to therapy, um, but you're not really sure where your faith kind of fits into it. Wherever you're at today, I wanted to share some statistics with you. So we have about 19% of us in America suffer from some type of anxiety disorder. Uh, 37% of adults incarcerated in the state and federal prison system have some type of mental illness. Uh, Trauma is all over the place, unfortunately. One in three women are abused by the time they're 18, and that's one in six boys, too. And to make matters worse, we have this problem in our churches that 30 to 40% of churches believe that mental illness is strictly a spiritual issue. What does that mean? That means that you can simply have enough faith, you can simply have enough prayer. If you read your Bible enough, then your mental illness will go away. Obviously, I don't necessarily believe that. Yes, I believe in healing, but to just say that it's strictly a spiritual issue, I think, is missing the point a a bit. So it doesn't just affect us today, though. We also have it, See, well, you can see it throughout the Bible. You can see it uh, in a person named Saul. He was the first king of Israel, and he most likely had bipolar disorder. We can see it in Samson, who was suicidal. We can see it in uh, Legion, who was demon-possessed, which in those days most likely meant mentally ill. And then we can also see in David, Jonah, and Job all had depression, And then we can even see that Jesus himself was accused of being mentally ill and demon-possessed. So it's all over the place in the Bible. It just wasn't necessarily using the terms that we have today. And we see some of those people who actually, like, succeeded at the end of their life. They end well. And we see other people who come to their own demise because they don't deal with it. And today we're going to talk about one particular character from the Bible named Elijah. And so to understand Elijah's uh, perspective in this story, we have to understand the context, right? So um, I want you to imagine with me that you are just at the center of two major miracles. We have on one side, we have that you prayed for fire to come down from heaven, and fire actually did come down from heaven. And then on the, the few days later, you prayed for rain and rain came. But this wasn't just like a normal, like, today we're going to get rain. It was after three years of drought. So both these things just happen to you. Both should have lifted your spirits, and both should have gotten the people of Israel to come back to God. But instead, what happens is the leader of the country is now saying, I'm going to kill you, and if I don't kill you by tomorrow, um, I'm going to kill myself, basically. Like, that's the story that we're entering into. And it's not really the results that Elijah was looking for. He was looking for uh, that moment that everyone comes back to God, and that's it, and everyone's celebrating, and everything's good, but instead what's happening is he's being hunted to be killed. And I don't know if you've ever felt like this, if you've gotten to the point that you've thought, I've had enough. I've had enough. I can't do any more. Maybe you're working on like a nonprofit and you have spread all the news about this nonprofit. You've created the Facebook page, you've told all your friends about it, you've got, tried to get all the volunteers, and you just can't get the money, you can't get the volunteers, you can't get the buy-in that you wanted. Or maybe you're, you're really trying to get your kid to listen to you, and you just keep trying, you've watched all the parenting videos, you've watched all the TikToks, all the YouTube videos, you've read all the books, you've talked to all your friends, and you just can't figure it out. And you just had enough. Maybe you're the person that everyone thinks is doing great, like Elijah. You look at him and you think, wow, God's really using him. He has these two major miracles that, is, that are happening because of him. And he should have been doing great. But instead, we enter into this moment with Elijah And we see that he runs and runs and runs. And when he finished running, he says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. So it goes real dark, real fast. And in today's story, we're going to see how God handled that mental health crisis of Elijah's. We're going to see that God doesn't just come in and fix everything right away, even though he could have, and we're going to see how he handles it. So in 1 Kings 19, 5 to 9, if you want to turn there, you can, or I'll just read it to you. It's up on the screen too. Um, Sorry, this thing is bugging me. Uh, We see in 1 Kings 19, it says, Then he lay down and slept, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to the Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. So we see here, I was looking for therapy in the Bible, right? I was hoping that I could just type in therapy and a story would come up, and then I'd be like, great, good to go, I'm happy. But unfortunately, therapy doesn't really show up in the Bible at all, as far as I can tell. We just have these moments, like the story today, that we see somebody counseling somebody, but not a trained therapist as we think of today with, like, a couch. (laughs) But we do see a few verses. We see in Proverbs 15:22. It says, "Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed." And then Proverbs 25 says, "The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out." And then finally, Ecclesiastes 9:17, "Better to hear the quiet words of a wise person than the shouts of a foolish king." And so when I look at this story, I don't want to elevate therapists too highly, but I think of my therapist when I think of an angel in this story coming along and giving this person what they needed, giving Elijah the practical tools of what he needed at that time. He's saying, Hey, you got to eat something, you got to drink something. And yeah, it's okay if you take a nap. And sometimes that's what we need, right? We need those three things and we would be pretty good to go. But I can think of moments that I've been in therapy and just practical tips that my therapist has given me that I needed to move forward for the journey ahead. It says, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. And so these are some things that I've learned from therapy. The first thing is my feelings are like whispers. I learned this in marriage counseling is that I stuff my feelings down a bit too much. And so then what happens is a few days later I can kind of explode. So that's one thing I've learned. Uh, I've been able to do some EMDR therapy, which is basically moving traumatic memories from one side of the brain to the other side of the brain. And that's been really helpful for me and something that I couldn't have done without a therapist. Um I've been able to get some advice about friendships and boundaries and sharing too much because sometimes I can either be on one end of the spectrum or the other. I cannot share anything with you or I can share everything with you. And so sometimes we got to land here in the middle. So my therapist gave me a tip of having uh 3 close friends, 12 uh friends and then the crowd. And so basically, if you, if you know the Bible at all, you know that Jesus had three close friends, 12 disciples, and then the crowd. And so today, even, I'm putting into practice what my therapist taught me and not sharing every single detail with my trauma with you, even though that would be really interesting. But <laughs> I'm not going to do that today because of what my therapist has taught me. And so uh, when we look at this, this passage, we can see that the angel gave really practical tools. And sometimes we need somebody to come along and give us the practical tools we need to move forward for the journey ahead. We keep looking at this passage. If You wanna put that one up there, Alice? It says, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love that line because I feel like that's what happens when you go to therapy, right? If you've been to therapy at all, hey, what are you doing here? (laughs) What's going on? How was your week? That's kind of what God's doing in this moment. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he says, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every single one of your prophets. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And so we see this crazy scene happening. There's wind, there's earthquake, there's rocks falling down, there's all this crazy stuff happening all around Elijah, but God's not in any of it. He's in the whisper. And this makes me think, I'm just gonna get a sip of water. This made me think of about a year ago, this week actually, uh, I did something pretty terrifying and I decided to confront an abuser from my past. And what I did is I basically told my story in a very public way. And uh, it happened in a church, and so I had a lot of so-called Christians coming after me and telling me that I shouldn't have told my story in the way that I did, and I shouldn't have, uh, and what it was was an abuse or whatever it was, all these different lists and all these different attacks and all this different storm happening around me and it was a terrible season for me because I obviously love the church and I love Christians and I love God and his people were hurting me so deeply uh, during that time and I got to the point that I just was asking God why why was this happening and why was the person who was responsible for it all still in a position of power And I've never been in a position where I questioned God so much before. And I stopped talking to him for a few weeks, maybe a few months. Honestly, I don't even remember because it was so difficult to ask him a question that I knew I wouldn't get the full answer to. And I couldn't read my Bible because the Bible was used against me as well. So there's all these things happening. And finally, one day I decided, you know what, I gotta gotta go to the mountain, but I live in central Illinois. So I went to my she shed in my backyard instead. And (laughs) I closed the door and I think maybe Albert, my dog was in there with me. But other than that, I was alone And I put on worship music, and I don't know if you've ever gotten like this, but, like, I sang the songs, but I didn't really believe them. And I prayed to God, and I tried to read his word, and I just, like, took time to just be in his presence as much as I could because I knew that that's what I needed in that moment, in that season, even though it was scary. And I asked again and again and again, why didn't you do anything, God? Why is this happening? What's going on? I don't know if you've ever been in that season of just asking all the questions, but the one that just kept coming back was why didn't you do anything? And I felt like he spoke to me in a whisper, like Elijah here, and he said, hon, I did do something. I got you out of that church. I got you out of that culture. I got you out of that friend group. I got you out of that city even. I got you out of that state. I got you three hours away in a new city, in a new state, in a new church, with new friends. And it was this moment of, oh, you're right. That happened three, four years ago. And I didn't even see it that way, but I needed that moment in the whisper. And what I wanna encourage you with today is wherever you're at with your mental health is that God is with you in the storm. He's there, he's in the whisper. You just have to slow down enough to hear from him. Even though you might not want to, even though you're scared to ask those questions, I'd encourage you to take the time to actually do it. He was in the midst of Elijah's mess, and he's, he's in the midst of yours too. And even though that situation is still hurtful to think about, and I'm still working through it in therapy, that moment with God brings me hope. Let's keep going in the story. We see the next part. It says, and a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every single one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus and anoint Elisha to replace you as my prophet, and I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. You see, in this passage, we see Elijah says multiple times, I'm on my own, I'm on my own, I'm on my own. I have no one else is here. But what's interesting about this is that God corrects him In the nicest way, he says, I'll preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal, that's the idol that they're worshiping, or kissed him. So 7,000 others, which I think is significant. Seven is a big number in the Bible. But then we also see in the passage before this that this guy named Obadiah actually hid away 100 prophets that were serving God, and Elijah knew that. So why does he say it multiple times, I'm all by myself, I'm all by myself, I'm all by myself. And I think, because that's what we do, right? That's what we do all the time. We let our feelings lie to us all the time. I'm the only one left. I don't have any friends, even though like a friend just texted you last week to hang out. Or maybe you say, oh, I don't have a life, but like you just went on vacation last year, or whatever it might be, you have all these lies, And I'm not saying ignore them, obviously. I just shared with you that in therapy, I sometimes push down my emotions. But we, we need to realize that emotions are great indicators, but they're terrible leaders when we keep on relying on them way too much. And that's what Elijah's doing here. It pushed him to the point of being suicidal because he says, I'm the only one left, but that just wasn't true. So I want to encourage us to keep it 100. I thought you'd like that one, Jay. Uh, (laughs) Keep it 100. Remember that 100-profit truth in your life. So what is that lie that's constantly said to you over and over and over again? What's that emotion that's constantly said to you? And yes, dig into that with your therapist. Journal about it. All that good stuff. But remember to tell yourself truth as well. For me, last summer, it was that I had the constant lie in my head that the church is broken, that Christians are terrible, that they don't believe victims, and I I constantly got flooded with different podcasts or different things on TikTok or whatever that just kept on coming at me saying the church is broken, and I do think that the church is broken in some instances, but then... I have to remember, look at the church right here. You know, like I would think that constantly, but then I had to remember I had people checking in on me. I remember Jay praying over me at a group one time. I remember Megan bringing meals over to me. I had people supporting me that were Christians, but for some reason my feelings were telling me otherwise. And so we have to remind ourselves of these truths. And again, that's where therapy comes in because therapists will speak truth to you, I believe, if they are good therapists. And I've had multiple times that my therapist has lovingly come alongside me and been like, well, Hannah, what if about this or what about that? And in, in a certain way, I don't think we should just say it how it is all the time. That's not healthy. But I think we do need to listen to truth and have people remind us, even with our actions, um, how God is working. And so as we close today, I want to share one last statistic with you, that nearly 20% of people struggle with mental illness according to National Alliance on Mental Illness, but only uh, there's 40 percent of people who don't get help. So that is just the section that has been diagnosed, like has mental illness, right? so there's a lot of others who haven't been diagnosed or might not have mental illness that need the help, but they're still not getting it. And so I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think one is that there's definitely cost with therapy. I don't want to ignore that fact. I'm very privileged that I'm able to get therapy, but I think the other thing is that sometimes we just don't prioritize it. And so when you came in today, you should have gotten some nail clippers and you were probably wondering, this is a very strange, and if you didn't, Godfrey's got you. This is a very strange Mother's Day gift. I promise you this is not our Mother's Day gift. Your mom didn't call us and say you need to clip your nails. Please don't clip them in the service. We don't need that. But I think of it as nail clippers, okay? Because sometimes we think we don't need a therapist because we don't need to pay for a friend. I've heard that before. We don't need to do that. So I think of it like this. You're probably wondering why the couch is up here, too. Sometimes this is what I do. I get on the couch, and I sit down, and I get really comfy. I got my dog, Albert. Sorry, he couldn't be here today. He would have loved it. And I get really comfy, and I'm watching Law & Order, and I'm loving it. Law & Order SVU, there's some trauma for you. But I'm really comfy. And then what I do is I start to look down at my nails, and I start to, like, pick at them a little bit. I don't know if anybody else does that. It's probably a nervous habit that I could dig into with my therapist, but I do that. And then what happens is I notice a hangnail, and I think, this is really annoying. If I don't take care of this myself, this is going to be really annoying later. So I, I try to fix it myself, right? I'm comfy. I don't want to get up. I know the solution is getting the nail clippers, but those are like all the way across the house. And so I sit there and I start messing with it myself. And I think, I can, I can handle this. I got this. It doesn't, if, if I don't fix it, nobody will. So I'm just gonna keep messing with it. And what happens eventually is that I pick at it so much that it is all of a sudden very painful because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I am NOT a trained nail salon person and then some days it just gets bloody there's blood everywhere it's disgusting and (laughs) I'm being vulnerable with you all today but I think that's a good illustration of how we need to figure out where the tools are for our mental health because if we try to fix it ourselves or if we try to figure it out ourselves. Sometimes we need the nail clipper. Sometimes it turns out fine and I'm like, look at me, I didn't need to get up. And then other days it doesn't work out like that. And so you need to get up and get the right tools. And sometimes what that is is therapy in order to not have as much pain. I also think that sometimes we can think our friends can help, right? Our friends can come alongside and we can talk to them. And friends are great, obviously. But sometimes they don't know what they're doing, and they can make it worse. I know I thought that for a very long time. Well, I have friends. I don't need to talk about all this stuff. I can talk to Nick. But Nick isn't a therapist. I can't go to him and dive into all this trauma with just him. I need somebody else to help. So maybe you're like that. You think that you shouldn't pay for a friend. Hopefully that kind of helped you see that differently. You might think, well, I went to therapy like 10 years ago, so I'm good. Like, I know all my problems. And that's honestly what I thought, too. I thought marriage counseling is two for the price of one. So we're both fixed. Guess what? We're not. So (laughs) we both needed the help from a therapist individually to work through different things. And so I wanted you to take a moment right now and do an honest evaluation on how you're doing mentally. And so we're gonna put that up on the screen. And I just want you to think through this list. Are you sleeping well? Are you hanging out with friends? Are you avoiding people? Are you talking to friends about your problems but they're not getting any better? Is there some type of past trauma that you just think is gonna get better and it just isn't? Are you thinking of harming yourself? And that last one, if if that's true for you today, I'd, I'd really encourage you to get help today. That's where Elijah was at, and he desperately needed help. So take a minute right now and just think through that. Maybe after those questions, you're thinking, okay, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to actually get the help that I need. And so I wanted to give some practical tips on how to find a therapist, because sometimes it can be like, okay, now what? And I got these from Google, so you can thank Google for these. But you got to figure out what your goals are, just like God was asking, what are you doing here, Elijah? Think to yourself, what are your goals for therapy? Ask your friends and family if they know any good therapists. Find a therapist that's specializing in what you're wanting. For me, I know this isn't necessarily a specialty, but I wanted uh, a Christian therapist. I wanted somebody who had gone to seminary and knew all the things and knew about ministry and all that stuff. So I looked for that specifically. I think the next one is know that everything won't be fixed right away, that things take time. I know about six months ago I was sitting in my therapist's office. I went in, and I was so like, I'm doing great. I was killing it. And by the end of the appointment, I was in tears (laughs) because I realized that I wasn't um, done with therapy yet. I thought I was good. (laughs) And she said, Hannah, it's only been six months. And I was like, what? Things take time. And finally, be okay with switching if you need to because sometimes you won't find the right therapist right away. But don't give up. I shared at the beginning how terrified I was to make that initial phone call, how much shame I had. And I, and I was thinking about that the other day because I was like, well, back in the summer when I made that call, I didn't really have that shame. I didn't have that moment in the closet calling the marriage counselor. I made the phone call. I couldn't find one right away, so I called around a few different times. I told people I was getting therapy What was the difference? And I think the biggest difference was when I was uh, previously, I was around a group of people who looked down on counseling. I had people who thought that if you went to marriage counseling, you were getting a divorce. Like, that's what was happening. Or if you went to therapy, you were the crazy one. Like, you couldn't figure it out yourself, or you couldn't talk to the pastor enough, so you needed to go to actual therapy. And there was such shame around it. And so when I moved here, I realized I I made friends with therapists. I talked to people about mental health. I talked to people about how they went to therapy, all these different things. And so when I made that phone call, it was so much easier because that shame wasn't surrounding it anymore. And so I want to make it really clear that here at Anchor, we don't want to be a church that has shame around mental health or shame around getting help. And so um, I'm going to ask if you've been to therapy or you have... Oh, Finchie, Um, if you've been to uh, therapy at all, if you could just raise your hand on the count of three, if you're cool with it, you don't have to share, obviously, I'm not gonna make you, Um, but I think it would really encourage anyone in this room who hasn't been, and they'll know they're not by themselves, they're not alone. And so on the count of three, if we could just be vulnerable with each other, that would be great, whether you're in therapy now or you went to therapy in the past, On the count of three, one, two, three. Awesome. That's amazing, guys. Thank you so much. That's awesome. I love it. So make that appointment. Be brave enough to do it. Take some time soon to listen to the whisper of God. And keep it 100. Make sure to listen to truth. Thank you for listening to Anchor Church's podcast. Every month we upload new episodes to help you grow in your faith and your relationship with God. If you'd like to get involved further or give into the mission of Anchor, please check out anchorchurchil.com. We'll see you next time.